Blog Talk Radio. Play another song. Don't look like none of them want to play.
Now to your host for this evening, Mike <clears throat> Greetings. I'm Ike. I'm sending in for Brother Africa today on Africa on the Move. <clears throat> uh, it's a pleasure to be here and to actually discuss with the community <clears throat> all those issues that are pertinent uh, to the community, uh, specifically uh, those issues not only pertaining to uh, community-wide concerns, but also international concerns as it relates to the African community worldwide. Now, having said that, I want to start off by reading something uh, real, real briefly. And this serves as a perfect segue uh, from this, what I'm going to read <clears throat> to the first topic we're going to discuss tonight. Now, the thing I'm going to talk about a little bit about is this death of another African refugee. Uh, there was a recently a death of a Sudanese uh, young man, a Sudanese brother who was killed in Oklahoma. So I think you'll find this somewhat interesting in terms of how things played out in terms of, you know, his untimely demise. In event, I want you to check this out. Now, police killings of Chihuahua Miraya, 26-year-old Sudanese in Gaiman, Oklahoma, inside Seaboard Foods Processing Plant, raises more questions than answers. Allegedly, Mr. Mariard was killed on the day he was fired, but the circumstances surrounding his termination remains unclear. Reports, reports obtained by police officials are inconclusive, and information obtained from employees, past and present, was not presented in official police reports. One piece of information stated that human resources were part of the process authorized in Marriott's termination. Human resources supported Marriott's termination, but instructed Marriott to finish his shift for the remainder of the day. Uh, upon leaving the production, <coughs> upon leaving the reduction, excuse me, upon returning to the production floor, the supervisor who fired Marriott notified police unbeknownst to human resources. According to eyewitnesses' accounts, the supervisor never approached Marriott to ascertain why he was still present at the plant, plant working, at the plant, at the plant working, even though one eyewitness disputes this account. One eyewitness who recorded the event on his phone observed the officers arguing with Marriott prior to. Oh, okay, excuse me. All right. One eyewitness who recorded the, the event on his phone observed the officers arguing with Marriott prior to shooting him. The same employee that recorded the event was subsequently fired by Seaboard Foods. Seaboard Foods never provided a policy rationale for firing the worker. Of course, being a right-to-work state, no reason needed to <coughs> be provided for firing. Any justification, regardless of how mundane, can justify any person being fired. Police account of events follow the usual script police in the U.S. use to justify deadly force, namely he was armed. Allegations of Mr. Murad's actions or demeanor representing a threat to police were debunked by eyewitness accounts that states Murad was working along with other performing, others performing his duties <coughs> on the shop floor. And the veracity of his eyewitness statements seems coaching given approximately the officers to Maria's person suggests police feeling threatened lacks merit and allegations of perceived threat has less to do with objective fact and more attuned to police fabrication. Police assertion the band cutter in Maria's possession standard for opening boxes constituted a threat not only sounds incredulous but farcical. The necessary steps or process to de-escalate the situation could have been employed Eliminating the need for deadly force. A simple put put down your band cutter command may have 
prevented what essentially was miscommunication between administration and the line supervisor. Allegedly, what transpired was a concocted plan, maybe on an unconscious level, to inflame tensions with the express purpose of police to create perfect conditions to shoot. Keeping in mind, the eyewitness recording the event specifically stated the officers' interaction was aggressive, in which they proceeded to argue with Marriott and, in the process, have intentions not to defuse the tensions. Marriott, who just lost his job, no doubt, emotionally unstable, was primed to, to respond to additional stress by surely what he probably saw as an encroachment on his humanity for, and for two reasons. First, being fired for dubious reasons. Dubious being, if Marriott's lack of efficiency online production cripples production output, the loss of profits to the company would culminate in its removal from the assigned job and placed elsewhere. He was not reassigned, but returned to the same job assignment prior to the decision to determine his employment. In all likelihood, his firing has had nothing to do with his productivity, but perhaps his objective reason has played a big part. Secondly, nothing employed by police negatively impacts the autonomy of people under stress. A sense of being someone or control over one's life is very a human phenomenon, and when police actions are demeaning and result is not, the result is not cooperation but confrontation. Could it be these police, these police perception of Marriott as an outsider, not when our Negroes played a part in approaching him so aggressively? My conjecture is these police wanted to create the justification to kill by essentially elevating stress levels. This would explain why the process of de-escalation by the police was not employed by these particular police and why lesser degree of force, like the use of pet batons or cases not used to counter the perceived threat of the band cutter. Now, aside from the, just, from the just questionable police actions, seaboard food actions were predictable, confounded, were confounding to say the least. Seaboard, seaboard food attempted to get employees who witnessed the killing to Mariah to sign an incident report created by the front office. This incident report did not presume to receive an objective assessment of transpired events by seeking employee input, but instead sought to whitewash the tragic event of that day and in the process eliminate any culpability of the organization for not disclosing to the supervisor human resources decision to return Marriott to his post for the remainder of the shift. In all likelihood, the incident report will probably paint Marriott as an instigator or interloper who should not have been there when the police arrived. This speculation in all probability does not fall from statistical variance. Oklahoma has a long and brutal history of inequality and death handed to African people. The Tulsa rise of Tulsa massacre saw the deaths of over 300 Africans 1,400 homes and businesses destroyed, and over 10,000 left homeless. Oklahoma set at, its, at the apex of the most police violence directed at African people, and this statistical and this statistic are likely to decline anytime soon. The systemic nature of police violence in Oklahoma is such that even state officials attempt to conceal the level of carnage <coughs> it has become, even though they attempt to conceal the level of carnage, it has become an impossible task. 84% of police killings from 1980 to 2018 were unreported or miscalculated by state officials. In a country like the U.S. that kills 100 people per month, Oklahoma holds its own in dispensing murder. This according to Lancet Journal. Implications for Africans in Oklahoma, specifically 200 or so Sudanese, if in Oklahoma should take heed, Oklahoma pretty much epitomizes the xenophobia and intolerance of U.S. society. It does not matter in 2000. 23, Department of Homeland Security Director Mayorkas updated the temporary protective status, green lighting, refugee status for Sudanese, or the long and arduous journey from refugee camps 
and Kikuma, Kenya. The bottom line is working together in the midst of so much hostility <coughs> demands unity. If the greater U.S. African population does not embrace this message, I am hoping that the Sudanese community in Oklahoma will. And I'll close with that. And having said that, we have our we want our <coughs> we want our, our panel to introduce themselves. And we we'll first we we'll start with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, introduce yourself. Greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years in 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-S. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few, to, to, to lay bare the contradictions of capitalist society, the ins and outs of, society, of capitalism, and to promote the values of scientific socialism. And I thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. We're still waiting for Sister Eleanor and Brother Anthony, and Brother Anthony's under the weather. Yeah, so we I'm here. Place. Okay, Sister Eleanor, why don't you introduce yourself to the panel? Nope. Yes, good evening. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I'm delighted to be here this evening. Um, I am an environmentalist, an artist, and a human rights advocate. Um my concern is right now Mother Earth, the carbon footprint, and the impact that NATO uh, is having on the world and its potential impact on Mother Africa. Uh, NATO should be disbanded. Soviet Union was disbanded in 91, and there should have gone NATO. Thank you. Good evening, and thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Do we have do we have Brother Anthony? Okay, we still don't have Brother Anthony. Okay, so let's proceed. And I'll come to you first, Brother Moses. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the piece I read was a segue to the first topic that we want to discuss. That's namely the case of the case of Tyree Nichols. For those who are not informed, Tyree Nichols was a young brother who was killed uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, being being death by five cops. But I want to just give a general synopsis, brother, uh, brother Moses, in terms of your view. How do you see this this particular this particular uh, case? What is your perception of what played what played out? Yes, um, this is a tragedy, uh, uh, miscarriage of justice. Um, certainly, this brother who was just trying to get home on his way home um, less than. Uh, 600 feet from his house, evidently. Uh, and these police just determined they were they had it in for him. Um, that's the only thing I can see. Um, I don't know any other explanation. Uh, um, this, you know, the Panther Party used to say, what is a pig? No regard for the rights of the people who can usually be found masquerading as a victim of an unprovoked attack. And, and certainly, you know, the government 
is the enemy of the people, obviously. And we need another government. It's as simple as that. Thank you. Okay, Sister Sister Eleanor, your general uh, perception of what transpired. Well, um, what transpired is what we see every day across this country. Uh, In the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right now there are three murders, uh, three deaths under investigation uh, for uh, as uh, under investigation as a result of young people dying at the hands of the police. Well, with Mr. Nichols, the tragedy was uh, one quick action. The good thing was quick action was taken, and these officers were immediately fired and charged with. Uh, murder, assault, and numerous other crimes. However, what concerns me is that the uh, EMS, the uh, fire department or the EMS people were hanging around. There were a couple of sheriffs hanging around. And what, what has happened to them? I understand some others are on leave with pay or on leave. And I would like to examine that, what would cause some to be on leave and others not. In addition, I think that this is a cultural phenomena where, you know, officers in this country have heavy demands placed on them to make so many traffic stops, to write so many tickets, and over often you find that they are placed in communities of color in African communities across the nation. They're not stopping the middle class or the Ferraris uh, theater. Uh, They are instead, um, as I said, focusing on certain segments of the community. And this has put a great deal of pressure on the officers, as uh, as uh, as and has caused a cultural uh, environment that seems to be from the head down, ignoring the violence and corruption that uh, the African American community is exposed to daily. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You know what what is interesting though, and Sister Eleanor made a very interesting point. And that is, the, there was a quick response by the sister who's the chief of police there in Memphis, Tennessee. And I got to ask you about that, Brother Moses. You know, one of the things is that there's a long history. You know, whenever cops commit atrocities, they're normally covered up by the by the administration. And this sister did something that's unprecedented. She actually stood up and said, "Listen, uh, we will not tolerate murderers on the force, and I'm going to deal with them quickly." Now, the mere fact that she did that didn't set well with a lot of people in the power structure. They didn't like the idea or actually, you know, siding with the community uh, in this particular regard. So what do you think would be the repercussions in terms of her taking a stand, actually defending justice at the expense of those cops? Uh, after all, those cops are supposedly, you know, part of the system. And in that regard, they should be protected. She didn't protect them. So what do you think would be the consequences to her for taking such a bold action? Well, we have to stand for what is correct and uh, speaks truth to power 
and this is her her stand, and uh, she says stand, stand fast, and uh, the community should support her uh, for whatever you know, whatever retaliation they try to bring. Uh, um, that's why the community, if she's serving the interests of the community, the community should rally around her and uh, and uh, and prevent any retaliation. Of course, they're going to try. You know, they're going to try uh, to retaliate um, because you know they are, not, like I said, they are uh, part of the problem. The state, the government, is the problem. Thank you. Okay. Sister Eleanor, what do you think would be the repercussions for the sister when she actually did that which was right? Do you think she'd be applauded for her actions by the power structure? Um, I, I think in this case she may be. But the reality, as I said, is that this problem goes from the top down. You know, this was some special squad that was set up to allegedly address street crime, but so often street crime is really uh, just nuisance uh, uh, crime, whether it's uh, people smoking on a basketball court or uh, playing uh, uh, craps or cars or uh, uh, washing their cars and three or four cars in a row and having a car wash on the weekend. You know, all of these things can be interpreted as nuisance crimes. And this um, department, this branch of the the force was dismantled immediately. But when you listen to the tapes, you know, these officers were um, obviously very comfortable with what they were doing when you see the tapes because they knew that this was being videoed, and they thought that this was good policing. You never heard them ever say to Mr. Nichols, we're about to tase you, stop now, or we're going to mace you, or we're going to, you know, nothing. There were no verbal commands. They seemed to get out of the car quite angry. And um, this speaks to the cultural environment of the police department that they felt so comfortable with what they were doing. You know, one took out, hit with the fist, the other took out the baton, the next one takes out the taser. And they were actually discussing it, like how many punches I got in and how many this and that I got in. And they really didn't see any error in their behavior. That was something that I found shocking. If you listen to the audio on the uh, tapes that were released. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You know, I, I got to say, one of the things I find extremely perplexing is the fact that, you know, one of the things that was revealed in terms of the video that was uh, provided, one of the some of the cops I heard talking about how much it was a how. how how much fun they obtained by assaulting this, this individual. And it seems to me when you, when, you, when you get to the level that you take glee in insulting another human being, I mean, brutalizing another human being, there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of your mindset. Brother Moses, am I off, or is that a, a, a correct presumption in terms of people who take joy at brutalizing other people? Yeah, we have some psychopaths in the world. I mean, there are people who 
who want who who are deviant behavior and uh and you know this is evil to exist and you know we have people who are victims of evil and uh this is the case of one of them uh um these 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 people have no no regard for the rights of the people whatsoever um uh, uh you know, I, I I stand with the Panther Party. I mean, we 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 got to police the police. Um, we have to defend the community. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Uh, Sister Sister Eleanor, your response. Uh, what do you take it from someone taking glee at the uh, destruction of another human being? How how do you put that in perspective, or can it be put in perspective? Well, I think uh, systemic, when we talk about systemic racism in the United States of America, we have to realize that everyone in this country is taught, (laughs) excuse me, to despise uh, certain people, African Americans being at the top of that list. Uh, uh, indigenous people have also gotten a bad shake depending on what part of the country you live in. Um, uh, the Chicano people were uh, an oppressed group uh, that united with the African Americans uh, during the uh, revolution of the 1960s. And they call themselves brown uh, buffaloes, you know. And uh, so there is a cultural environment that lends itself to uh, this kind of behavior. I I I question whether the officers, uh, when looking up, uh, they were doing a routine traffic stop. They apparently didn't do any investigation of the license plate because they would have certainly seen that this young man was, uh, as Brother Moses said, just feet away from his home. And um, that um, uh, makes me think of a popular uh, adage and a, a documentary that I saw called Driving While Black. So what was the traffic violation? Driving while black in a black community? Um, It's just acceptable to brutalize black people. And racism, you know, doesn't depend on the color of an individual's skin. They may have reasons to may even look like you but not consider themselves at all similar to you. And, uh, you know, uh, there's definitely in the police department some type of training that seems to be going on in every state and every municipality or many uh, that uh, polarizes African Americans. Look at Breonna Taylor, how this woman was sleeping, and how um, no one uh, ever came to justice for really for her murder. So this seems to be acceptable. It's a, it's a cultural environment 
that uh, seems to trickle down. And I think it not only trickles down from the police chief, but from the mayor and the governors down. Behavior has to be acceptable amongst the elite or people would not uh, deport themselves in this way. If there were any repercussions for their behavior. But it was obvious that these officers expected nothing to happen to them. Okay, very just announced, Sister Sister Eleanor. Let me ask Brother Moses just to hop on something that uh, Sister Eleanor uh, alluded to. That is the the, the term, the color, the color of the officers involved. I mean, one thing is interesting. We we suspect, uh, we at least we hope that, given the fact that these are officers of color, these are African men, we would we would think they would be in the vanguard in terms of protecting the community against those kind of abuses. But it turns out they're actually uh, part and parcel of carrying out those same kind of abuses. So what, what so so what element does class play in terms of the motivation of these particular uh, black officers? I think you know we have a class struggle going on, and there are class ideas. And what we have here is black skin, white white uh, mentality, white supremacy mentality uh, in black skin, and uh, you know the the capitalist racist system that they are defending and they were trained to defend and uh, you know they have inculcated and, and bought into that 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 mentality of that black black is evil and uh, and uh, and they they've uh, betrayed their people and it's obvious. I mean, they have no consciousness whatsoever, uh, and they should be charged and uh, and uh, made an example of, and hopefully it'll be an example that will stand for white officers as well. Uh, sometimes the standards get set by default. And, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the fact that they're black, Skin does not does not uh, override their mentality and their training. You know, Israel trains police to do that kind of thing they do. Uh, uh, this is a this is a part of the U.S. system, and uh, we need to change the system. That's the bottom line. Thank you. Uh, before I go to Sister Eleanor, just to uh, alert the audience, if you're interested in uh, having a statement or something that you want to ask, a comment, please give us a call at 323-679-0841. That's 323-679-0841, and we acknowledge the last four numbers. Now, Sister Sister Eleanor, you know, one of the things that uh, I, I think, you know, just to, to hop back into what you're saying, you know, when I, you know, often I think about South Africa, and I think about the to the extent that Africans participated in terms of the oppression of their people. When you talk about you know police brutality, you had African people out there actually brutalizing other Africans to protect the apartheid system. Interestingly enough, when you when you think about that kind of mindset, uh, people are willing to disregard their histories. It's a very interesting phenomenon because one of the things is that, you know, the only reason these guys are police officers is because a lot of people sacrifice. They ended up in prison for long periods of time. They end up dead. They end up with, you know, lacking job opportunities simply because of their political stand. 
So you have all of these uh, people making these, these, these making these sacrifices in terms of you know for the betterment of the community. But these guys, these black police officers, betray that that history. So what do you think about you know these 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 black cops in terms of their mm. fundamental lack of understanding of historical events? Well, in terms of the historical events, um, you know, you bring up a good point. Uh, the example of the uh, uh, advanced placement course in the state of Florida that Sanchez, Governor Sanchez, uh, is opposing uh, for many students is the only college-level course that will expose them to something that they will have an opportunity to study at university, and that's African studies, and it speaks about them. And I think uh, very often uh, it's just a matter of miseducation and people not really learning about uh, their history, not knowing what a, a struggle uh, uh, people have uh, have gone through like for T- Tyree Nichols, a 29 year old black man, and, and, and took tur- you know these people taking turns punching and kicking him as he as as he pleaded for them to stop. Uh, uh, that's according to the video footage released. Uh, uh, Nichols died in the hospital three days after the incident. However, uh, you could see that he was critically uh, wounded or uh, ill when he could not even sit up, and they were sitting him up in front of that vehicle or truck, and he kept falling down. Uh, the grim is uh, the the video is grim and and, and outrageous. And again, I I think there's a, a real uh, miseducation. Uh, Carter G. Woodson called it the uh, miseducation of the Negro. And there's certain simple readings that I think everyone should be exposed to. Um, and uh, for that reason, it would give us some boundaries um, as to how we, as a people, should organize ourselves where we live and 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 address the issue of our history, our background. And I think uh, sometimes uh, people have uh, um, are exposed to a great deal of, of information. And they learn it very well, and they crack whether they're an engineer or whatever they're doing. But what they do not learn is about themselves. They do not learn about the African experience. They do not learn about the working class experience. Uh, They don't learn about labor. you know, you'd be surprised the number of people that have never heard of Carter G. Woodson, the founder of Black History Month. As we approach uh, Black History Month in the next couple of days, he founded Black History Week, actually. And 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 uh, 
I just think it's a, a lack of education. And um, and in terms of comparing it to apartheid in South Africa, I think that um, I don't know much about what was happening on the ground with the police when blacks were able to become police in South Africa because apartheid still existed. But I don't know whether there was the same brutality that uh, you experience in this country. I think the United States, in terms of mass murder and the murder of, of, of black people, uh, they exceed any nation uh, on, on the planet. We're leading the race in murder and destruction of, 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 of descendants of slaves and people who have immigrated here who look like them. You're, you're absolutely correct, but there's no question about it. In context of America, when you talk about systematic violence, it's definitely systematized. I mean, to the extent that uh, it's much more persistent and it's much more enduring. So clearly there is a disconnect in terms of making comparison between what's happening, what happened in Alzheimer's South Africa and what's happening in America today. And I want to thank you for that, um, Sister Eleanor. We got some calls. We're going to go first. We're going to go to call of the last four numbers, 1022. 1022, your statement or your comment? One zero two two. I guess one zero two two just wants to listen. Let's go to our next caller. Let's go to caller one 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 one, and and caller, we we ask you to be respectful. Normally, we we request a number so we can see uh, the last four, but we're going to bring you in. But we want you to keep it respectful. Also, caller one 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 one. Just speak in the comment. Okay, I guess caller 1111 just want to listen as well. Okay, all right. All right, now having said, let's, let's, let's conclude with that. Let's go to our next, our next topic, and that is the question in terms of debt ceiling. I think there's a tremendous amount of misinformation with respect to the debt ceiling, and many people are confused by the media who tell them things that are not, that are not exactly true. So I think what was important is that we sort of dispel this notion in terms of what precisely is the debt ceiling what it means to the lives of people here in America. Uh, one of the things, you know, uh, you know, when we talk about the debt ceiling, essentially what we're talking about is the level of money or the amount of money the U.S. can, can borrow to pay its current bills. Now, now, Brother Moses, just in terms of the debt ceiling, you know, one of the things you think about it, you think it would be a, 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 a no-brainer that, you, that, you, that you, you create the money to pay your, pay your, pay your debts because it makes good business sense. It makes, makes ensure that your credit is good. It ensures that you can, you know, sell your financial instruments around the world. It has credibility. And it, it makes, overall, it's good for the economy. So why would Republicans refuse, why would they fight against the debt ceiling? What is that all about in your estimation? Well, um, let's, let's examine this debt ceiling. What exactly is this debt ceiling now? Um, I understand there's only two countries on the planet that use this, and that's the U.S. and I think Sweden. I think they said Sweden, but some other country. Um, and um, so, you know, it's it's a it's a, a political construct um, to keep to, for accountability of 
uh, is, is attempts to um, balance the budget like you would balance your home budget or something. You you're seeing how much money you got and how much money you need and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but certainly we have to keep politics in command. We can't let money be the dominant um, this determination of, of, of human life and prosperity. Um, we have to keep politics in command and, and, uh, and um, do the things that are necessary to support life. Uh, defaulting on the debt uh, has no, uh, there's nothing constructive I, that I can think is, it would be a lot of destruction and a lot of, of uh, and I, we, we, we definitely uh, seem to have to extend that debt thing. Uh, I don't think we have much choice. Uh, I don't know if, if any other alternative uh, under this system. Thank you. Uh, I agree with you, Brother Moses. I'm inclined to believe that it, you know politics uh, precedes the economics. If you don't have the correct mindset in terms of how you use the money, then it really doesn't matter. If the money uh, precedes the, the, the political and, of course, the people with the money are going to use it to bend the system to their will. And so clearly you're absolutely correct. Uh, one of the problems is that, you know, we have this, this, this situation in America where, where financial institutions lead the country. And as a result, we see all this decadence and all this decline uh, manifest itself, you know, throughout the entire system. Now, Sister Eleanor, you know, you know it's interesting, you know, you know, just on a rudimentary level, maybe you can explain, you know, when Republicans – Rally against the debt ceiling, uh, even though in, 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 in not increasing the debt ceiling, then you know what you're going to do. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, then you know it's going to have a devastating impact on the entire economy. So, what is the real? What will be the motivation for Republicans to uh, oppose the debt ceiling? In your estimation, I would say, uh, and when you consider people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who they had to take committee seats from her and some of the people that are in the Congress today. Um, I think it may be ignorant because for the U.S. not to raise the ceiling, the debt ceiling, to cover the expenses that we have would only cause the U.S. dollar, which is what keeps the U.S. strong right now, the stability of the dollar to grow weaker and and people to begin to look elsewhere. And um, to raise the debt ceiling, uh, many people need, I, I understand, is not to raise the spending. It's simply to cover our existing expenses. And I understand that the Republicans right now want to see cuts in uh Social Security and 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 and, and um, Medicare and Medicaid and all these social programs that uh, preserve uh, uh, a certain standard of living and quality of life in the United States. And what they fail to realize is that as the least among us live is ultimately going to be a demonstration of how the wealthiest among us live. You know, we've seen countries around the world like India in its recent past 
40 or 50 years ago. You know, people discovered there what we don't, we need a highways. We need to have an infrastructure that allows everyone to have utilities. We need to have uh, 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 central public transportation system because it works for everyone. And the way the least is doing is the way the wealthiest would do. But these Republicans don't think that. Do they think they want to have uh, millions of Americans starving? They're already starving on the what they are given through these social programs. Do they really think Social Security is adequate? When I know living people that are living in the United States on less than a thousand dollars a month, what what you know? I think it's a lack of knowledge, and I think it's very important. You know, when you you, you join Congress, you know your first few weeks is you know your orientation, and I think we need to expand that orientation. Uh, I think uh, that we are not educating our congressperson when they come into office. Now, you see Marjorie Taylor Greene on her second year, and you say, well, it's only a two-year term. But uh, she's one of the people that has come to the forefront recently because she realized that she could use her vote to influence the McCarthy vote. Uh, as uh, uh, the, the new leader of the House, and uh, with the with the uh, Republican-dominated uh, House, it is absolutely ridiculous, and uh, it puts the United States at great risk. It's uh, not doing anything for anyone else except for the enemies of the United States. Because if we don't pay our bills, we are no longer credible. If you can't afford to pay your bills, no one cares that it was a a, a, a bad Congress or an uneducated Congress. or uh, No one's going to care, just like they don't care that the mother of six can't pay her light bill. You know, so the the same applies for 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 the United States and paying its bills. And so I am shocked that they're causing all of this trauma uh, around just paying our existing bills, and that they are willing to use paying existing bills as some kind of holdout on the upcoming budget and what cuts they'd like to see. And even Trump and Biden and even the moderate Republicans want to see the status quo remain because Americans are really suffering. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Uh, Brother Moses, you know, it's, it's, you know there's a real, um, a, real, a real irony between the, the Republicans of just you know, five years ago versus Republicans of today. One thing that's very interesting is, you know, during uh, Trump's uh, term as president, uh, the death sentence was raised three times under Trump. And one would have to ask itself, why would you 
why would you raise it three times under Trump with no question, but now you fight against it? Possibly one of the reasons why they allowed the, the debt to be raised three times under Trump, maybe under the perception that allowing that debt to go up, that creates more money for the wealthy, for the elite to have access to. Do you think that's a possible reason in terms of why historically the Republicans always uh, agree with debt, the increase in the debt ceiling? I think the Republicans uh, stick together uh, behind the one percent uh, and looking out for the interests of the of the, of the privileged mm-hmm. and the few, and that's What's their that's their agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to reduce taxes for the rich. They don't, they want to eliminate government regulation for the rich mm-hmm. and uh, allow mm-hmm. corporate America mm-hmm. to run America, and that's their plan. And uh, Every time they're in office, uh, um, they they always had uh, the debt ceiling. Uh, they've increased the debt. They've increased that under the Republicans. The debt usually increases. Under the Democrats, the debt usually slows down. So, and that's because of the political economy and and that conservative conservative uh, push for the. Corporate America, all out okay. by Republicans, uh, okay. having an effect on the economy, and that and that manifests itself in higher, higher deficits. Uh, we need sanity to take control and and um, stop this, this war, money going to Ukraine and NATO, and and uh, realize that the people have needs. And so we need a new government. There's no, there's no way around it. Uh, uh, these people are not going to do right, and it, and uh, and we have to, we have to get a new government. Thank you, brother. Mo- brother Moses, you hit it right on the head. Uh, one of the things when you talk about the tremendous uh, corporate control of the finance, it doesn't bode well for society. Anytime you have a system in place which is, which is all about profitability, it's all about making money, then when you put that power in the hands of corporations, they're going to use that to make more money. Uh, it doesn't include the interests of society at large. It's simply about corporations making tons and tons of money. And as, and as you alluded to, it was direct, directly results in the kind of inequality and this wholesale suffering of the American people that's currently taking place today. But, Sister Eleanor, you know, let me go back to the question in terms of, you know, um, you know, this question in terms of the, de- the debt ceiling being raised three times under Trump. Uh, clearly, Brother Moses alluded to the fact that, you know, uh, part and parcel of, you know, this uh, this Republican desire, you know, uh, under Trump to raise the debt ceiling three different times had a lot to do in terms of ensuring benefits for the 1% of the population. Uh, now, if, in fact, you know, they're doing it because they're concerned with the 1% of the population, what does that mean in terms of the, the needs of the mass of the people in society? Because you talk about one percent who control over sixty percent of the entire wealth of the nation, including that at least very little for the masses of people. So, what are the implications in terms of such a policy, where you where you're willing to raise the debt limit uh, for Trump three different times, but not raise the debt limit for for Biden? Okay, but which way would that come? Why are you over this way or what? Sister Eleanor. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. What What was the question, please? I, I, I'm hearing someone else. 
I'm sorry, Sister Eleanor, are you? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. All right. So uh, you you want me to repeat the question? Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. In terms of providing, when you provide this kind of wealth for 1% of the population, that's why when you you raise the debt ceiling three different times under Trump, Republicans essentially uh, made it possible for the the, uh, expansion of money to take place. Because what happened was that they were allowed to print new money, with more with more money to circulation, which helps gives benefits uh, to the one percent of the population who have access to those funds. Okay. So in, in, in society, Sister Eleanor, you listening? Yeah, but I, I, I don't I, I know I whether I can hear another voice over your voice. Yeah, I don't uh, know where that's coming. Susan, if, if only, 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 uh, only open the mics for those people who are talking. Everybody else should be closed, okay? Okay. All right, Sister Eleanor. Yes, I. I okay, let me. Um, you want, okay, let me give you the question one more time. You ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. The Republicans during Trump's administration raised the debt ceiling three different times. Yeah, and raising that, that debt, yeah, and raising that debt ceiling three different times, they they actually were responsible for increasing the, the 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 level of money in circulation. By increasing that level of money in circulation, it made more money available for the one percent of the population. But here's the problem: if all that wealth goes to one percent of the population, it means that the 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 five percent of the population doesn't have access to that wealth, which means that society. Uh, uh, society uh, 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 de- deconstructs, or it actually begins to 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 fall. So, given that reality, so when you think about the fact that Republicans now are willing to 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 fight uh, a um, uh, a debt ceiling, but in the past they're willing to raise it, what do you make of that in terms of you know uh, to what extent are the Republicans actually in cahoots with the one percent of the population? Well, that, as Brother uh, Moses said, that is the way it appears that government is set up. But I think their failure right now is, uh, or Congress's failure right now is that, yeah, that might have been the way you set things up under old capitalism. But now in this country right now, we're fighting totalitarianism and also something else. The amount of wealth that this 1% is in control of is equal to many people, many nations, GNP sometimes. And I, I, I have a problem uh, with that, that, that amount of wealth, and I can't imagine anything but uh, uh, a Congress that does not about the future plans of uh, the United States or the future of the United States and its citizens that would allow such expansion. What does the 1% or the 5% or even uh, uh, the 10% have to gain? Nothing. And, you know, that reminds me of um, one thing, you know, uh, Governor Santos in Florida, you know, banned uh, 
an African studies book that mentioned Black Lives Matter. And it's interesting that um, the, the Walmart is owned by a family, and some of the people that sit on the Board of Education uh, are also a part of Walmart and a part of AT&T. So I always think it's important for people to make sure that their dollars impact and let the people feel it. You're talking about uh, giving the rich tax breaks. Well, that's that's what's happening. And when uh, Biden wanted to hire all of these IRS officers to um, be able to audit the very wealthy, Congress uh, denied him uh, those positions. And it was only to get them to pay the little taxes they're required to pay. We saw that uh, President Trump uh, pays as a little or no taxes for years, but we get, definitely know that Jeff Bezos, while being, quote, one of the top 10 wealthiest men on the planet, was paying no taxes in the United States. What there is something wrong with that that picture? That is uh, crime, legalized crime. When you allow someone to accumulate such wealth off of the back of the workers, or, or how else would they accumulate it? Even he recognized that his wealth comes from Amazon customers and workers. So wake up, audience. How much do you need to shop at Amazon? Think about their workers and how they're underpaid. But uh, the reality is, is, is this is uh, uh, not a conscious Congress that would allow such a thing to happen. Well, right on, Sister Eleanor, right on. Uh, before I ask Brother Moses' question, just to alert the audience, you can contact us at 323-679-0841 have, uh, for any questions or comments. Make sure you hit one. We acknowledge your last four numbers. Now, to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you know, uh, Sister Eleanor alluded to something that's very, very important, and name that is, what is the real objective behind sabotaging the debt ceiling? Uh, Sister Eleanor talked about the fact that, you know, the elimination of Social Security and, and Medicare, and that is unfortunate. But, you know, even more problematic, Brother Moses, is the fact that they're talking about, the Republicans are talking about privatizing Social Security Trust Fund. Now, if they privatize the Social Security Trust Fund, what does that mean to the lives of uh, people who are retired, people who are disabled, uh, some of the most vulnerable people in society? What do, how does that impact their lives, Brother Moses? Brother Moses? Uh, Brother Moses? People. Um, Social Security, Medicaid, all the entitlement programs for the people, and they should not be touched. Uh, they need to be expanded, actually, um, because we need to get rid of uh, funding for, for war in Ukraine and et cetera, and, uh, and actually take care of our citizenry. Um, this, this, 
the situation with uh, the Republicans holding hostage the economy and and the blackmailing the economy uh, um, is is a it's a sad day in America. Uh, but it shows you know the the viciousness of of uh, money and the and the callousness of money. Uh, I, I can't repeat it enough. You know. We've got to organize, 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 and pick, convince people they need a new government. Thank you. You're absolutely right, You're absolutely right brother, Af- uh, brother Moses. Uh, the, uh, the, the viciousness of capitalism is unprecedented. And I think that the kind of pain that people feel, you know, uh, 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 it's not going anywhere. And evidently people have become the realization that something fundamentally has to change in terms of living as a human being. If, if we don't fight to change this paradox, then, or this paradigm, the, the rally is that, uh, you know, the situation is going to continue to deteriorate. Sister, uh, Sister Eleanor, you know, you know, obviously, you know, when we talk about Social Security Trust Fund, we're talking about the fact that this is money, money that has been, uh, that has been, in, that's been uh, invested, you know, by people, you know, who, who worked or people who paid their system with the understanding that the government will take that money and put it in a fund, invest that money for the sole purpose in terms of providing uh, needed, uh, needed, uh, uh, needed, needed funds uh, when these people get older. Now they're talking about reneging on that, and they're using this whole debt ceiling as a justification to destroy the Social Security Trust Fund. My question to you, um, Sister Eleanor, you know, in terms of the, the need for, you know, Social Security, and when we think about the unemployment rising in society, uh, we think about the homelessness in society, we think about all these ills impacting society, why would anyone want to consciously create a scenario by destroying the Social Security Trust Fund when people are already greatly indebted or impoverished in the society? Again, I feel that it is ignorance because right now um, with people depending on so many baby boomers and baby boomers still every year going on retirement, and finding themselves in adject poverty. How often do you work, walk in a store and see seniors work working? That's because they're unable to afford to live. Remember, you have to have resources to be able to work. It's very difficult to hold down a job where you're working. And the reason I say this is ignorance on one part they got to remember that the poor live in rental housing. they got to pay their rent. Are they going to take the rent away from the landlord? Uh, the poor uh, have to shop in these, dead, in, in these uh, grocers and gasoline stations, grocery gasoline stations, and 7-Elevens. Are they going to deprive? the big franchise 7-Eleven income because they take away their their financial base. So this is a really not thinking about economics and how it works. Even if you don't care if people are impoverished, you've got to have enough basic sense to know that if you take away all income from millions of people potentially, you will have a devastating impact on the U.S. economy from the bottom up. 
And mm-hmm. there are far too many people, when you talk about disenfranchising millions of people, the disabled, the retired, the you know, the elderly, you know, not all people are completely dependent on their Social Security. They have their retirement and their 401K, but then there are those and more than we can imagine because there are no studies being done to tell us uh, just how many people, Americans, are solely dependent on Social Security as their retirement income. And Mm -hmm. those kind of things should be examined by Congress. We should take a look at how the economy is doing, how it's really doing. And if you take away, if you take away too many low-level jobs, if you take away these resources, who's going to be able to work in the grocery stores? Who's going to work in the dry cleaners? Who's going to work sweeping the streets? You know, you you really have to think these things through. And I don't think anyone uh, on the Hill is really thinking. And I also think President Biden, quite frankly, uh, needs some help, too, because there are things that Biden could do and walk away from right now. One, the Cuban embargo. It would be a great thing to lift the embargo and allow the United States to be amongst the first on the list to make business with Cuba. Uh, one, it could become a great service in uh, in terms of importing uh, organic produce and making these kind of products cheaper for U.S. citizens because so few citizens, except for the very uh, the real solid middle class can even afford organic produce and these kind of things. But there are so many things in terms of medicine and other factors that would uh, weigh in if we would simply lift the embargo. And if we would start with a clean slate and take every Central and South American uh, country off of any kind of sanction list, for us to try going out of the business of subverting other governments and focus on our own and on the U.S. economy and how it is failing its people. Because if we don't stop what we're doing right now, we're one, we have far too great a carbon footprint. There are many ways that neighborhoods and communities could begin to take hold. We could have a community of, say, if you live within so many feet of 3,000 people in an urban area, you could have kids on the weekend as a part of an internship program turning that glass into sand, something that can be immediately used and recycled and beginning to think about ways to change the way we live, the way we live as individuals, the way we function as uh, industries, and just to, to change these things. And now is the time. We cannot wait. 
and you don't see we have the debt ceiling out of control, and all it's going to do is allow the U.S. to pay its current bills, which include the Ukrainian uh, war, which includes our NATO uh, uh, fees, which includes our support of uh, uh, the Zionist government in Israel, which includes so very much, including the defense budget. And so we really need to uh, think about that and think about how the economy works and how we are going to create, uh, or how the working class needs to think about what they want to see in government. And that's where you use one great reform that we have, and that's the vote. can use that to change things uh, right away, like in Memphis right now, like in the, in the entire state. Look at that governor, because the governor it, it determines how people behave in Tennessee, and so, you know, we, we we have a wonderful time and opportunity, and it's up to the people and the Congress to, uh, uh, if they care about the United States of America, for them to do the most they can and to stop the systemic racism against African people the descendants of ex-slaves. And uh, we really have to do this because this is a critical time in the United States. So many, we have so much room for so many people and to make a living and make a home here. Why are we depriving the descendants of slaves, the builders of this great United States, these same opportunities that we extend to our immigrant community as they join and become citizens of this United States. So um, that's it for me, brother, brother Haiki. I hope I didn't. Oh, thank, you thank you, sister. Thank you, sister Eleanor. Real quickly to, before we go to a break, uh, to brother Moses. You know, Sister Eleanor raised some very interesting points. Uh, so clearly, when we talk about the uh, the uh, when we talk about uh, the the, the uh, debt ceiling, uh, clearly it's going to have very negative connotations for the masses of people in society. In fact, as of last Thursday, the country is officially you know uh, uh, in very troubled waters in terms of being able to pay its debt simply because that that ceiling wasn't raised. But my question to you is, that in terms of trying to cre- to, to counter or, or, or try to get the community to counter the effects of not raising that ceiling. What are some of the factors that may get in the way in terms of preventing people from working together to create conditions to deal with the fact that the debt ceiling uh, uh, or lack, refusal to raise the debt ceiling is going to have a very negative impact on the community? What can we do in terms of empowering people to understand the importance of why we should work together to, to, to counter the effects of, of debt ceiling? Yeah, well, I'm I'm not um, sure of the particulars of how it's going to impact uh, individuals uh, 
with the uncharted territory. Ultimately, uh, we the country's never never defaulted on the debt, uh, and so it would be unprecedented, unprecedented, and uh, uh, it, I'm not certain what how it would how it what would be the the repercussions i'm just not certain it's like a pandora's box once you open it up uh the spirits come out and uh and i'm not sure where they're gonna fall i'll leave it right there thank you okay brother moses thank you i haven't said that we're going to take a quick station break and we'll be right back after the station break
And he was taken 
Yes. Yes, our time has expired, guys. Uh, unfortunately, we, we couldn't go into the uh, uh, the SNAP program and or the, what's happening in the, with the Geneva camp in Palestine. So we have to close here with our closing remarks. We'll start first with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, your closing remarks. Thank you, thank you, Brother Aki. It's been an interesting show. I think, you know, we have to educate ourselves. Um, I, I said I didn't know what the deficit would do because uh, I'm not sure, but I do know that they they will won't be able to pay their bills uh and uh that means paychecks government paychecks won't be able to go out uh and so that will obviously have a, a impact on the population uh uh if people won't have the money to pay their bills uh a lot of the dependency upon credit cards et cetera uh and uh it would be a bad situation but anyway. This has been an interesting show. I hope to see you next week. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Illinois, your final statement for us, please. Well, um, in reference to the debt ceiling, the U.S. would not be able to pay its bills, and and that that would be a, a real atrocity, an economic atrocity. What it would do is destabilize, indirectly destabilize the U.S. dollar. The reliability of the dollar is why so many nations invest in the dollar. And uh, uh, to allow us to not pay our bills would just be uh, a type of uh, sabotage, uh, really, uh, undermining uh, the U.S. economy. I'd also like to uh, mention that I saw Brother Moses at the um, uh, um, the tribunal, the um, Belmarsh Tribunal on Democracy Now. And what uh, what was happening was uh, it was nearly 13 years ago that WikiLeaks, uh, the founder John. Uh, Asides released his film, a video called Collateral Murders, exposing the brutal and intentional killing of uh, these uh, Iraqi civilians and uh, a couple of journalists. And um, in 2021, London held the Belmarsh uh, Tribunal, and last year, uh, in 2022, New York did. Now, this Belmarsh is named after the prison near London where Assad has been held since 2019 in a, in, in a what they call a high-security facility where they normally put uh, brutal uh, people who have committed brutally violent crimes like murder and rape. And that's where this 51-year-old journalist is being held in Great Britain. Um, And he's being held there until his uh, trial is completed in Great Britain. And uh, they call this Belmarsh uh, uh, Great Britain's um, version of Guantanamo Bay. And this guy is being held there pending the completion of his extradition trial. He's supposed to be extradited to the United States. 
and under Trump and Biden's administration, they're both now Biden is seeking to bring him to trial in the U.S. and he could face up to 175 years in prison. But I saw Brother Moses there. And in terms of uh, uh, this evening's show, I think it was a, a great show. I'm sorry that you're ending at uh, 8.29, uh, um, but I appreciate being a part of it. And uh, I, I thank you uh, for your time. And um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in Memphis. Normally, Memphis has stayed out of the spotlight of police brutality, and it's a predominantly black city like D.C. used to be, and their police chiefs are always black. So the issue of racism is 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 there, and, and this gives uh, America opportunity to see that racism and racist crimes can be committed against the people uh, that appear to be the same race, as Robert, as Brother Moses said, you know, um, and uh, I look forward to us further investigating and in examining the verbiage that you hear from the officers on the tape and examining why the others are on leave and these five officers were so abruptly, as rightfully should have been done, were uh, fired, charged with second-degree murder and other charges. But why weren't the others also charged? I don't understand that. But thank you so much, and have a good evening, Brother Haki. Uh, thank you, Sister Eleanor. This has been Africa on the Move. Brother Africa, we'll be back next week. Y'all have a good weekend. Peace.